0: Thanks, everybody. That's great. Thank you so much. Very good. I'm glad that Australia didn't play New Zealand last night in the rugby. Uh, I'm not sure you'd be standing, well, unless you thrashed us like you normally do. So uh, uh, it's great to be here. For those who have not met me, uh, my name's Peter. My beautiful wife, Lynn, is with me as well. Can we just welcome Lynn? uh, (laughs) We've uh, had a wonderful time with you. We flew in uh, to Auckland last Thursday, I think it was. Uh, So, not Thursday, two days ago, but Thursday the week before, we spent last weekend up in Auckland uh, with another church and doing some stuff up there. We then went up to Waipu, a beautiful part of the world, and spent a couple of days with some friends of ours up there, and then flew down here and uh, just had a wonderful last four days. So thank you, Michael and Ali, for looking after us so well. Uh, It's been a real privilege and pleasure to be amongst you all. We felt very welcomed. Uh, There's a bunch of other people that have been driving us around and feeding us, and uh, it's just been wonderful to be a part of this community of faith. Always a pleasure for us to travel uh, to different parts of the world and just to worship with people who love God. And uh, as we worship together, we all have encounters with him, which is uh, why, well, certainly for myself, I love attending church because it's a place where I do encounter God. And I don't know about you, but I need to have regular encounters with him because I can't do this thing called life on my own. So uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Um, so for those of you who were unable to be with us over the last couple of days, I just want to try and put a bit of a full stop on uh, what I've been talking about. So let me just quickly try and bring you onto the page so that some of the things that I'm about to say uh, have context and would make some sense. So the Lord taught us to pray, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. One of the questions I've been asking people to consider with uh, with me over the time that I've uh, had the privilege of speaking Is that if Jesus was to answer that prayer thy kingdom come what do you think you would see if Jesus kingdom actually did come amongst us what would it look like what would it taste like what would we experience and so I've been asking people to consider if Jesus answered that prayer because if we want if we're praying that prayer we do want it answered Uh, what are we going to see what what is it that we're actually wanting to draw into our personal world What is it we're wanting to draw into this community of faith? What is it we're wanting to draw into this valley in which you live, this beautiful valley in which you live? And so I've been suggesting that uh, one of the things that we'd see, if not the primary thing that we would see, is that we would see the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority. We'd actually begin to see the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority in our individual lives we'd see it inside of communities of faith, we'd see it across the body of Christ, we'd actually start to love one another really well, and we'd then see it spill out into businesses and schools and universities. If the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority uh, did exist and did come, then the activity inside of that space would be to restore everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be. And so the activity of the kingdom, when I read about what Jesus was doing, He seemed to be at every level trying to bring heaven to earth and restore everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be for those people that he was touching and those that he was ministering to. And so that's our privilege as followers of Jesus, that everything in our personal life would be restored back to the way that God originally intended it to be. And that we would be a group of people who understand that is our privilege to release that to those around us. It's why we pray for one another and why we believe God with one another and we see God release healing because God never intended sickness to be in the earth. It's why we see people coming to faith because God always intended that we'd be in his family, not separated from him. And so so as kingdom people, we are looking to bear witness to the kingdom. We're looking through uh, our lives to see God using us to restore things back to the way that he originally intended it to be, so that we would bear witness to the kingdom that we are a part of and also bear witness to the king, the one that we love. And so we've been exploring what that would look like, and I've uh, explored two particular ideas, that we would be restoring love back to the way that God originally intended it to be, and that God we would also be restoring oneness back to the way that God originally intended it to be and that our servanthood of others would be restored back to the way that God originally intended it to be. And so they were the three main sort of topics that I covered in the three sessions that I had during the time of the conference. This morning I want to drill down into the idea of oneness and so we're going to, well, I'm going to read from John chapter 17. If you have a Bible with you, you can join me. Um, John chapter 17 and verse 20. Uh, This is Jesus' great prayer This is where Jesus is actually praying for us and we have the opportunity to consider whether we want to be an answer to Jesus' prayer. We want Jesus to answer our prayers. It was wonderful that we prayed for people this morning and we're asking God to invade their world and do for them what only he can do. But we actually have the opportunity to be an answer to Jesus' prayer because Jesus prayed this great prayer in John chapter 17 and part of it he was praying for us that we would do something for him. And so in verse 20, he prays to the father, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also believe in me through their word. So Jesus is praying for the disciples that are around him at the time, but he's looking down the tunnel of history and he sees you and me because he's praying not just for those that are around him, but for those who believe because of their word. And so 2,000 years on, the baton's been handed down through generation to generation to generation, and we've now believers because of what they carried and what others have carried into our lives. That they may all be one, even as as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus is saying one of the greatest ways that we can bear witness to the kingdom of God, one of the greatest ways we can bear witness to the king that we love is that we would be a people who pursue living in oneness with one another. Just as the Godhead live in oneness together, that we would make it a priority of our lives to make oneness something that we are pursuing. And so that finds its greatest expression when we are in tension and conflict with one another. Because it's easy to be in oneness with people that agree with us. It's easy to be in oneness with people that like us and love us. But Jesus actually wanted us to love our enemies and bless those who curse us. And so there's a culture out there that's skeptical of what we believe. uh, But what would it look like if we could actually learn to live in oneness with that culture in a way that caused them to feel the love of God and to feel the love that we have for one another? Because we've actually figured out how to live in oneness in here so that we can carry that out into the world in which we live, wherever we work, where we go to university, go to school, where we live in our homes, next to our neighbours, if we're mums looking after our kids, whatever part of life we're in, we're actually understanding Jesus is saying that to bear witness to him, this pursuit of oneness with every human being is really important because it represents the Godhead. That's how they live together. And so um, this particular topic uh, has become incredibly important to me because of the way the Lord spoke to me uh, in March, like March last year, Lynn and I travelled to Adelaide together. Uh, we were going over there to work with the church, much like we are here this weekend. And, uh, and our bag was the very first bag that came out on the carousel. Uh, that was, that's never happened to me before, and it's never happened since. Uh, I probably am one of the top 2% of people that travel in this room today. Uh, for whatever reason, I have the privilege of doing this a lot. And so for my bag to come out after 20 years of travelling all around the world, to see it come out the first time, really got my, come out first, got my attention. And so we then went to where we were staying. And we were staying in a group of six apartments. And we were put in apartment number one. I understand that God speaks in a very unusual language at times, in a mystery, because he wants us to be curious. He wants us to try and figure out what he's saying. That's why he told parables that cause us to ask questions. And so I said to Lynn that afternoon, I bet you when we go out to dinner tonight, we'll be seated at table number one. And sure enough, when we went out to dinner that night, we were seated at table number one. That was intriguing enough to me on itself. But then we went back to Melbourne. I fly Virgin most of the time. We're in the, where the three carousels are at Melbourne. It's a really tight space. Our flight was coming up on carousel number two. Other bags coming out were from people that had flown in from Adelaide. The other passengers were standing around. I recognized a number of them. And, uh, and so that's where our bag should have been coming out. Somebody picked up their bag and pushed past because it's a tight space. And so I turned around to make sure they had enough room. And on carousel number one, there was only one bag and it was mine. I really at that point said, God, you are trying to say something to me. And, uh, and so I'd been, Lynn and I and our congregation have been spending about 18 months leading into this time, exploring this whole idea of oneness and I really felt the Lord say to me, Peter, I want you to carry this message until I tell you to stop carrying it because it's important that my people understand that I'm speaking into this space at this particular time Because he does want the whole world to know that the Father sent the Son. And the key to it is living in oneness. So we're going to look at the book of Ephesians this morning. I believe the book of Ephesians is actually the book of oneness, the epistle of oneness. And let me explain to you why. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul is talking to the Ephesians about our oneness with God on the basis of grace. From Ephesians 2 verse 11 to Ephesians 4 verse 6, he moves into our oneness with one another. We're going to come back and look at this in more detail. In Ephesians 4.7 to Ephesians 5.21, he talks about learning to walk in oneness. And then from Ephesians 5.22 to Ephesians 6.24, he talks about the application of oneness. And so this morning, I just want to look at the verses from 2.11 through to 4.6, where it talks about our oneness with one another. And, uh, and we'll build the, uh, the understanding of all this as we go. So we're actually going to start in chapter 4 and verse 1 where it says, Therefore, wherever you see a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And what's happening here is that Paul is writing a letter, much like, well, you know, we don't write letters particularly much anymore, but uh, in the old days, you know, when Lynn and I first met, we used to write letters to one another, and, uh, and there were no verses and chapters, you know, inside of it. It was just a stream of consciousness. In, and here, Paul is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing through a stream of consciousness. So when he says, therefore, he's actually referring back to what he said previously. He's saying, I'm coming to the conclusion of what I have been talking about. I'm bringing an emphasis to what I have been talking about. Um, And so he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. I want you to notice the word implore. It's a really strong word. Therefore, now uh, out of all that I've been talking about, I'm now imploring you. On the basis of what I've just said, which we're going to go back and look at shortly, I am imploring you that this is really, really, really important. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. The next word is really, well, the second next word is really important as well. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so these ideas are incredibly significant to Paul. And we're going to find out why they are significant when we go back into chapter 2 and verse 11. But he's saying, being diligent, I implore you to be diligent. It's like he's pleading with us. Would you please understand how significant this is? And you need to really be diligent. You've got to make sure you pay attention to this because of the consequences of it. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is, is saying this whole idea of oneness finds its expression in all these different parts of the kingdom and the way the kingdom works. And I'm imploring you to be diligent in the way you pursue this because it has such a significance for the spiritual dynamic of a region. It has such significance for our own spiritual lives as well. So if we go back to chapter 2 and verse 11, we find another therefore. Ephesians 2 verse 11, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Because he's wanting now to move, he's changing gears in his conversation. He's saying, I've been talking about our oneness with God. Ephesians 1 verse 1 to Ephesians 2 verse 10 is all about our oneness with God. That we are we have been made holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That we have every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth. That it's by grace that we've been saved, not because of our works. That we're actually now one in the family of God. And so he's saying because we're one with God, now we need to learn how to be one with one another. Because we're one with one another, therefore... He goes on, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. So what Paul is now going to go after is one of the great schisms in the New Testament church. He's going after the schism between Gentiles and Jews and this idea that Jews, uh, Gentiles had to become Jews first before they could become Christians. And so he's going after the schism that is there between Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament church. And in verse 14, we find him summarizing this idea where he says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And so Paul is saying, therefore, because we are one with God, we need to figure out how we are one with one another. And we've got to figure out how we're one with one another with those who seem to have a contrary point of view to us. We've actually got to figure out how to be one with those that disagree with us. And we need to understand that our oneness is achievable because God himself has broken down the barrier of the dividing wall. But are we prepared to step into what he has broken down? We then go down to verse 19 of chapter 2, so then. So the, the word so is another English word like Therefore. So then, so because we're breaking down the barrier, the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, because we're learning to live in oneness with one another, so then the next point he wants to make is actually summarised in the verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, When we break down the dividing walls between us, it's so that we can be built together and we can be knitted together. That we can actually be knitted together, uh, sorry, fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. And so there is something about the way that we live in oneness with one another that actually represents a holy temple that others, when they look at, go there is God, because Jesus prayed, if we could learn to be one with one another, the world would know that the Father sent the Son. And so he says that we are to be uh, fitted together, and then in whom also you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And so this is the idea out of Psalm 133, that where there is unity, God pours out a blessing. And that we would actually realise that the more we can live in oneness with one another... Not just in this room, in this body, but also with the Presbyterians and with the Catholics and with the Anglicans and with the people who left this church because they got upset about stuff that we still are wanting to say, "I," oh, you might be upset with me, but I'm going to live in oneness with you. I'm not going to let a barrier or a dividing wall spring up because God is breaking down the barriers and dividing walls. And so, if I build a dividing and a barrier, a barrier and, a, and a dividing wall, then I'm actually working against what God is on about because he breaks them down. Right, right. So, somebody else might want to build one, but I'm not going to build one. I am going to be the answer to Jesus' prayer. I'm going to be a person who makes oneness really important because I know when I do, I bear witness to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He then comes into chapter 3 and verse 1, and he says, for this reason, for what reason? For the reason of living in oneness together. He's now going to go on and tell us why this is important. In verse 14, he then says, for this reason as well. In the first verse, for this reason, I Paul, a prisoner of the Christ of Jesus Christ of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then you'll see a dash if you're reading a uh, a, a literal translation like the New King James or the New American Standard of the NIV. There'll be a dash there. Why is there a dash there? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. There's a dash there because the the interpreters realize that this reason wasn't the first reason he thought of. It occurred to him as he's writing. The, the actual first reason is the one in verse 14 that we'll get to shortly. But as he's writing, he suddenly goes, actually, there's another reason as well. I'm going to put that in first, and the one that I first thought of, I'm going to put in second. And so the first reason, for this reason, this living in oneness idea with one another is really important for this reason. There's two reasons, but the first one is, it's summarized in verse 10 of chapter 3. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What is it that we can actually make known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places that is the manifold wisdom of God if we are people who are giving, learning to live in oneness with one another? Here's my thought for your consideration. The devil judged that he could rule heaven better than God. In making that judgment, he broke oneness with God. We're told that the key to the Godhead in John chapter 17 is that they live in oneness with one another. We want you, the people of God, to be like us because we live in oneness, the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. We all live together as one and we serve one another and we love one another and we live in humility with one another and so we want you to look like us. But the devil decided that he would stop looking like God in living like oneness and decided to break oneness by judging that he could do it better than God. He then came to Adam and Eve in the garden and he got them to judge two things. He got them to judge the word of God, has God said, and he got them to judge the intent and motive of God. God's actually a meanie. He wants to stop you being like him. That's why he doesn't want you to eat of that fruit. If you eat of that fruit, you'll actually be like him. What he did was he took their eye off the fact that they were already children of God. They were already living in oneness with God. They already had everything that they needed. He tried to tempt them to say, God's not as good as you think he is. And so he got them to judge that they would break oneness with God by eating from the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said, never eat from that. Otherwise, there's going to be problems. And what happened at that point, I don't have time to go into it this morning. You can read it in John chapter 8 in particular. But what happened was that Adam and Eve exchanged fathers, they exchanged God being their father to the devil being their father. And we were all born into the kingdom of darkness through our mother's wombs and we are all born into darkness and we lived for a period of time in the kingdom of darkness and we've been called out of that into the kingdom of light. But the thing about the kingdom of darkness is that it's based on judgment. So what happens is they eat from the tree of judgment and when they eat from the tree of judgment, they then do three things. They judge themselves. We were naked. They judge God. We're afraid of you. And they judge one another. She made me do it. And so the kingdom of darkness is built on judgment. The foundation of the kingdom of darkness is built on judgment. The foundation of the kingdom of light is built on oneness. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not lest you be judged. The word judge there means to scatter. And so the kingdom of darkness is built on scattering people from one another through division and disunity, because that's what judgment does. You can't love those you judge. The kingdom of light is built on oneness. It's built on love, which gathers... And so here Paul is saying, you can actually make known to the world of the Spirit, you can do something they couldn't do. You can live in oneness with God and you can live in oneness with one another. The manifold wisdom of God, I think, according to Paul, is an answer to Jesus' prayer that we would learn to be one with one another. The manifold wisdom of God is that oneness is the place of content oneness is the place of power, oneness is the place of where we find our true selves, that when we live in oneness with one another, we return one another back to ourselves. We're no longer judging one another, criticising one another, demonising one another, marginalising one another. We're not using right and wrong as the standard of relationship. We're making, how do I maintain this relationship and that you and I care about one another, even though we disagree? How do I care about my enemies? Love your enemies. How do I care about those that persecute me? Because that is the reflection of the Godhead. Whilst I was yet an enemy, Christ died for me. And so to be like Christ, to bear testimony to the kingdom, to bear witness to the King of Kings, one of the greatest ways that we can do that is to make oneness our pursuit. And so Paul is saying, chapter 1 through to 2.10 oneness with God we have oneness with God and because we have oneness with God now we've got to learn how to live in oneness with one another we're going to learn to live in oneness with those who are most violently disagreeing with us Jews and Gentiles we are then because of that so then we are learning to be built together together and being fitted together why are we doing all of this we're doing it for two reasons the first reason is to show the devil that we can do what he can't do that we can actually prove to the kingdom of darkness that it is possible to live in oneness with God, the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority. He is Lord, not just Saviour. That I'm restoring everything back to the way that God originally intended it to be. I'm moving away from judgment and I'm moving into oneness. I'm making decisions that I will stop judging people. I will not judge them because that's the kingdom of darkness. When I'm judging people, I'm cooperating with darkness. I'm eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I'm restoring my life back to the supreme rule and reign of Jesus by saying, God, help me to be a person that makes oneness the key here. He then comes into verse 14, for this reason. So now there's another reason for making oneness with one another really important. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, um, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. So he's praying for a work of the Spirit. So he's saying there's there's actually a reason that's really important here and it's so important I'm now going to pray about it. This is one of Paul's great apostolic prayers. And so he's saying in the context, this prayer is in the context of oneness. This prayer is in the context of the pursuit of oneness. This prayer is in the context of showing the world of the Spirit that we can do what they couldn't do. And so he says, I bow my knees before the Father of heaven and earth. And so he's praying for a work of the Spirit. Verse 16, that he would grant you, that he'd give you what is possible to achieve oneness. I'm praying for a work of the Spirit that would give you what's needed to achieve oneness. That's why he's praying this prayer. When you put it back in its context, that's what it's all about. And so I'm praying that each of you that is in the Ephesian church, there'd be a work of the Spirit inside of your life that only he is able to give to you because he's able to grant you this to be achieved. According to the riches of his glory, God has everything that makes it possible for us to live in oneness with one another. Paul is convinced that there is a work of the Spirit that God can do in our lives that makes it possible to live in oneness with one another. And he realizes that if we don't have this experience that he's about to pray for, we won't live in oneness with one another. And so God's got everything that's possible to help us to move out of the ways of darkness and to live in the ways of light, according to the riches of His glory. To be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. If you need to be strengthened, the assumption is that you have a weakness. You don't need to be strengthened where you're strong. You only need to be strengthened where you're weak. And so he's praying that the God of heaven and earth, who has all the power and has all the ability... Uh, in, in the whole universe, that that God would do something to strengthen us where we're weak, that he would actually come to the weaknesses in our lives and Paul is praying that we'd be strengthened in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you will be rooted and grounded in love. Now, in here, we've got to understand Paul already believes that our, our hearts our hearts of faith because we've confessed with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord. So what I've come to understand is that in my heart, my heart is made up of a whole bunch of different rooms. I can have faith for God to provide for me, but I may not have faith to see people healed. I may have faith that I can forgive people who have hurt me, but I don't have faith for sickness that I've just been told that I'm going to be that's going to take my life down. We, we have all these different rooms where some rooms we have faith for, but other rooms we don't have faith for. And so there, is, there are rooms in our heart where we don't have faith to forgive people and live in oneness with them. There are rooms in our heart where we don't have faith that if I actually let you feel that you're right and I'm wrong, that I'm going to be diminished. And I don't want it to be diminished, so I'm going to make sure that you're diminished before I'm diminished. Did that make sense? Did that come out clearly? And so, so we, there, there are different, So, he's saying there's some areas in our heart where you're not rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded is an agricultural idea which was very prominent in these days. And so, what he's saying is that the areas of weakness in your life. The areas of weakness that are in your life are because the roots in that part of your life, whether it be for healing, whether it be for money, whether it be for forgiving people, whether it be for to stop lying, whatever it is, wherever the weakness is that needs to be strengthened, the roots of that part of your life are not going down deeply into the love that God has for you. And so what he's praying for is that those roots would actually come up out of the lies that cause you to behave in a way that is not Christ-like, and that those roots would go down into love into God's love that you would be rooted and grounded in those areas of weakness those areas where you're not strong and he's saying one of the areas that I watch Christians where they're not strong is that they don't learn to live in oneness with one another they actually prefer to judge people and, and it's not you know the domain of Christians it's the domain of everybody It's just that we've brought that lifestyle with us from the darkness that we've been in into the kingdom of light And he's saying, whatever it is, whatever that causes you to do that, I'm praying that those roots will be pulled up out of the lies, out of the fear that causes you to feel that you need to judge and that those roots would go down into love, into God's love. Rooted and grounded love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. And so so what Paul is saying is that for us to live in oneness with one another, we need to understand how much God loves us, because when we understand how much God loves us, we can then give that love away to other people. It sounds a little bit like the New Testament commandment in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love one another by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So Paul is saying, uh, sorry, uh, Jesus is saying that, that we need to be people, a new commandment I've given to you, that you understand how much you're loved by God, so you can love other people well. The Old Testament commandment, the second of the two great commandments of the Old Testament was love one another as you love yourself. Now we all know that we're pretty hopeless at loving ourselves. We all love ourselves on the basis of performance, and we tend to love other people on the basis of performance. We love those people who agree with us. We love those people who do what we want, but we withdraw our love from those people who disagree with us, depending on how violently they disagree, and from those that have hurt us. And so Jesus gave us a new commandment for a new covenant for New Testament believers. He rewrote the second of the two great commandments and said, love one another as I have loved you. And so we can only love other people the way that Jesus loves us if we know how much he loves us. And so here Paul is then saying, so all of this is in the context of oneness, remember. All of this is about how we're to live in oneness. For this reason, what reason? To live in oneness with one another. For this reason, I need you to recognize that love is the key. And so in verse 19, to know the love of Christ. The Greek word here, to know, means to know by experience and encounter. And so he's saying, to know by experience and encounter the love of God, which surpasses knowledge, what you know in your head so that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. You have two seats of knowledge in your world. One is in your head and one is in your heart. If you come to church long enough, you know that you're meant to forgive people. But when you're hurt very deeply, how easy is it for you to forgive them? Do you forgive them just like that? Or do you have to go on a journey? Or have you yet to forgive someone that's hurt you deeply? We can know in our head something, we can have knowledge in our head because we think, because of the way we've been educated, that if we know it in our head, we know it. But that's not true. It's what you know in your heart that really determines how you live. Who you are under pressure is who you really are. And so you can know that you're meant to forgive someone, but if you're not forgiving them, there's a reason in your heart that you're not forgiving them that needs to change so that you can give witness to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so, so Paul is saying to know by experience and encounter the love of Christ, to know in your heart the love of Christ, which surpasses what you know in your head, so that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. If you squeeze a Christian, you should get Jesus juice. And so when you're squeezed by life, when you're squeezed by not having enough money, when you're squeezed by somebody disagreeing with you, when you're squeezed by somebody betraying you, when you're squeezed by a medical diagnosis that's not all that happy, when you're squeezed by life, what comes out is a Jesus juice that comes out. Jesus juice for me looks like the fruit of the spirit: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one: faithfulness. I think on the way through there. Um, and so, so when you, so what Paul is saying here is that to, if you're filled up to the fullness of God, when you get squeezed, Jesus juice will come out. But. If you're if Jesus just isn't coming out, then you're not actually filled up to the fullness of God. There's a part of your heart that is yet to put its roots down into the love of God for you to draw His love into that space in your world so that when you get squeezed, love comes out. And so Paul if Paul is saying in the context of one that's been really important, you've got to have experience and encounters with the love of God. You've got to posture yourself to have those experiences and encounters. And you posture yourself often in those places where you're not being Christ-like, when when you know when you're squeezed by life that that oneness isn't coming out of you. And at that point, you've got something to offer before the throne of grace in your time of need to ask God to help you with. And what Paul is saying here is if oneness is really important to us, then we'll notice when we're not living in oneness. If oneness is really important to us, we'll notice when we're judging people. And when we're judging people, we now have an opportunity to bring something before God and say, God, what's that all about? Where does that come from? What motivates my belief that it's okay to do that? Because you're saying that it's not okay because it scatters me. Judgment scatters. Love gathers. And so if I'm being scattered either from myself because I'm judging myself as being not worthy, not capable, hopeless, no good. If people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If I'm judging myself, I'm scattering myself from myself. If I'm judging others, I'm scattering myself from them because I'm putting them at arm's length, I'm not drawing them in. And so, so if I'm doing that, Lord, and oneness is really important to me, what is it that's informing that approach that makes it all right for me to do that? when you seem to be saying that it's not all right. The kingdom of God is where the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority exists. And if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm saying your Lord, not your Saviour. And I'm going to recognise that I'm not living in oneness, but you've got an answer for me because Paul is praying for me and and this is a prayer that the church leaders pray for their congregations, that he would grant you To be strengthened in the inner man. So that your roots would go down into love. And so we can pray this prayer for ourselves. We then come into verse 20. Now to him, so keep remembering the context. These verses often are pulled out by preachers like me to make points about other things. Which is fine, I'm I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying in context, when Paul first wrote it, he's talking about oneness. Because we have oneness with God, therefore we need to have oneness with one another. And so in that context, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more exceedingly above all that you ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's saying this might seem like a really big deal, but God is actually abundantly able to do this. there's an abundance of God's spirit and presence that can actually help us to live in oneness with one another now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think he's he's climbing in like most preachers we should climb into what the argument you're having with me right now in your head how you're saying oh I'm not sure I can agree with that Peter and so Paul's doing the same thing he's climbing into the argument again here in the Ephesians head they're going but Paul, this is a really big thing that you 're asking of us he says yeah, I know it 's a really big thing, but remember who we 're dealing with right, right. we 're dealing with the God of heaven and earth we 're dealing with the one who is able to do things far more abundantly above all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us. This is not about us trying harder to be nice. This is not us about trying harder to be you know sort of better Christians. this is going god i 've got an issue here that only your spirit and your word can, can sort out. And I'm making this my goal, so therefore I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit into this space because this is really important to you because I actually want to bear witness to the kingdom of God. If Jesus answered his, our prayer, that um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, what Jesus says in John chapter 17 is that we would know the kingdom is amongst us by the way that we love one another Because the world would look at us and say, the Father sent the Son. And so Paul is exploring all of this. And then we come to chapter 4 and verse 1, where we started, therefore... So with all of this in mind about the Jews and the Gentiles and being built together and fitted together and poking the devil in the eye and showing him that we can do what they can't do and the weakness that's in us and I'm praying that you put your roots down into love so that you actually are one with another and God is abundantly able to do all of this more than you could ever ask or think by the working of the Spirit. With all of that in mind, therefore, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of his calling. Again, preachers like me pull out the walk in a manner worthy of your calling and use it in all sorts of different ways. I'm okay with that. But in context, what's the manner of our calling? The manner of our calling is oneness. That we would work in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. The context is that we have been called to live in oneness. We've been called to be a people who love like nobody else loves. And that we've been called to walk in that manner that's worthy of our calling. And, and he implores us. And then he says, be diligent. And then he comes to verse 4 again, there is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all who is in all and over all and through all and in all. This is a really big deal to Paul with the Ephesians. Why is it a big deal? Because I think he understood that Jesus prayed that we'd be an answer to his prayer. I believe that you want to bear witness to the kingdom that we're a part of. I believe you want to bear witness to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe in your heart of hearts, you want other people to see how great and good and kind God is. One of the keys that we're given to do this is to figure out how to learn to live in oneness that we would make that a pursuit of our lives. So let me get down dirty and rumble a little bit. Let's make it real. So in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. I want to ask you very gently... Who do you have barriers and dividing walls with? Where are the people in your life where you've got a barrier and you've got a dividing wall? Because if that's the case, are you responsible for it? I have barriers and dividing walls with people that they've put up with me, but I'm still going to choose not to live in that space I'm going to choose to love. But there are possibly barriers and dividing walls that we've put up. That we've withdrawn to a place of safety, that we've marginalised somebody, that we're keeping them at arm's length. I want to earth what I'm talking about this morning with you and ask you would you be courageous enough in your own heart to be able to identify where you are responsible for a barrier and a dividing wall and if you are able to do that what would you be prepared to do about that today? Would you be prepared to pray like Paul has prayed and say, Lord, you you have exceeding abundantly available all that I need for you to work in me that I could be humble enough and step away from that space because I want to bear witness to the kingdom. I actually want to be a follower of Jesus. I want the supreme rule and reign of Jesus' authority to exist in my life. And so... Normally where these barriers are, we've got, all, we've got a bunch of really good reasons why we put them up. I'm not asking you to put yourself in an unsafe position. There may be some people that you have a barrier or a dividing wall with that have hurt you and have harmed you. I'm not asking you to go back into a relationship and trust them again. I'm just asking, would you be prepared to let that ball down that you could see them with the eyes of love that Jesus sees them? Would you be prepared to be, to let all of that go so that God's love can reach out of you into them. Now whether they're ready to receive it or not is another conversation altogether. I'm not asking you to put yourself in a dangerous position where they would take advantage of you. It may may not be that extreme for you today. It may be that you've got a barrier of dividing wall with somebody at work or somebody in your neighborhood. You have a dispute over a fence or you've got a barrier of dividing wall about where they park their car. You might go, well, that's just little, Peter. Surely that doesn't matter. I personally think it does. If you saw an elephant coming down a jungle path running at you, you'd get out of the way because you know it would kill you. But the same poisonous leaf, the poisonous spider that's in the leaf litter that you can't see can kill you just as much. It's often the little things that trip us up and not the big things. So, if I can have the uh, worship team uh, to rejoin me this morning. We're going to take a few moments just to allow the Lord to speak to us today. If you're not ready uh, to do anything with this today, then that's fine. That's all good. Um, I'm here just to be a guidepost and point you in a direction. If we can just close our eyes and... So the first question is, are you prepared to make the pursuit of oneness one of the key goals of your spirituality? If you are, what you're saying is that you're wanting to make love one of the key goals of your spirituality. But it's not a human love, it's a a God-type love. If you are prepared to make it, one of the goals of your spirituality, are there dividing walls and barriers between you and any other human being that the Holy Spirit's asking you to pay attention to this morning? And if he is asking you to pay attention to it, are you prepared to ask him what it is that he wants you to do? If in hearing him ask you to do something about it, you balk because it's like, flip, that's too big. I want you to remember that he is abundantly able to do more than you could ask or think. For it is God who is at work in us. And so if he's asking you to do something, I want to pray for you this morning that you would receive the grace the riches of his glory, to be able to step into that. And so, Lord, right now, I I just pray for all of those, Lord, who are wanting to make oneness pursuit of their spirituality. And I'm asking, Lord, that from this day on, you would help them to keep their eye on this goal. Lord, for those who are wanting to make this a pursuit, and today you're speaking to them about a dividing wall and a barrier, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give them the grace that they need, that, Holy Spirit, you would do the work inside of them that would empower them and enable them to pull down those dividing walls and to pull down those barriers. I'm asking, Lord, that whatever it is that you're asking your people to do, that you would help them to be that person, to become that person, to step into that space. Lord, we're, we're making this important because we want to bear witness to the kingdom of God. We want to bear witness to the one who loves us so that the whole world would know that the Father sent the Son. And so, Holy Spirit, would you help people to be courageous? Lord, would you help them to find humility? Would you help them, Lord, to step into a space that only you can make possible? In Jesus' name, Lord.